Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, uh, before I get the talk started today, I just want to let you know today's talk is going to be really heavy. And, um, but I, I just kind of want to say something before I get into it. I think New Spring is the kind of church that we want to have a lot of people here that are going to be in the situation we're going to describe. Because New Spring is not a traditional religion church. And we've been in a place where it's been safe to have problems and not be perfect. And we've been very transparent about that. So I don't know that there will be a lot of people today, even though this talk is really heavy, that will feel like it might be for them. But on the other hand, my responsibility is to do as a minister what the Bible calls declaring the whole counsel of God, which means I can't just talk about one topic. I have to talk about all the topics that the Bible talks about. And I also know that there are a lot of people who watch us on television, watch us online around the world. But here's the thing that I think it will be beneficial to you, because even if you hear this talk today and you're like, wow, I, I'm thankful I don't have this issue. I think if you've ever been hurt by toxic religion, you'll understand it better. And you'll, you'll know why the people that were there behaved the way they did. I think you'll have a clearer understanding. But I also know that one of the dangerous things in life can be um, to grow up in a church culture and to learn the culture but not know Jesus. And you learn the songs and you learn the Bible stories. But somewhere along the line, you find yourself wearing a mask. We're going to talk about that today. And I want to pray the same simple prayer I prayed in all the other services. And so I ask you to join me in this, please. Would you pray with me? Father, let no one be uncomfortable who should be comforted. And let no one be comfortable who should be uncomfortable. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jude in our video is kind of hard to follow, isn't he? I mean, he doesn't make any sense. But I want you to know that our story that goes back to Jesus' day is the same. The guy that we're going to meet makes no sense. We're going to struggle and understand him, and we're going to do our best for the next 25, 35, 40 minutes. I'm going to do the best I can to try to help you understand him. But I want to tell you something. We are entering into the strangest story in the Bible. And for my money, the strangest story in history. And it's not even close. I think this is the strangest story by far in history. Our series is called Coffee with Jesus. It's about conversations with Jesus. And typically, they're around moments where, well, we're just talking about people that would have an intimate conversation. In week one, it was a water fountain conversation between Jesus and a woman whose life had been wrecked by bad choices and she thought her life was over. I mean, again, 
more of us are more like her than the guy I'm going to talk about today. But then her life radically changed, and she discovered that Jesus could give her way more life than she ever dreamed. And last week, you heard Stephen bring a talk about a, a beach breakfast with a Jesus follower who thought his, his life and ministry were finished because he had embarrassed himself by denying Jesus three times. But that breakfast with Jesus put him back on track. And just a few weeks later, he preached one of the greatest sermons of all time on the day of Pentecost. But the story I want to talk to you about today is so different because this guy didn't just share one meal with Jesus or one moment at a water fountain. He, he had every meal with Jesus for three years, every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner. And he was at the most famous dinner of all time, the Last Supper. And yet, after all that time with Jesus, nothing changed. And 2,000 years later, today, he is in hell, and we're not questioning why. We know he deserves to be there. Three years after seeing everything that Jesus did, after hearing every sermon that Jesus preached, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that was the price that slave traders charge for a slave. Pocket change. And as I shared with you at the beginning of this talk, I've been preaching this story since I was 16 years old. I've known it long before the meter of my memory started running. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I, I listen to the story of Judas and I think, why? Why could a guy spend three years with Jesus, hear everything Jesus did, watch everything he did, and, and yet not connect? Um, okay, why is the wrong question? How? How could a person be that close to Jesus? and not knowing. I think I shared this with you back in the Christmas series. I said, suppose Jesus was in the world today. Uh, what would we do for five minutes with Jesus? I said, I would mortgage my house. I would sell my car. I would wait in line five days, day and night, to have five minutes with Jesus. And yet this guy was with him for three years. How could that be? Well, Let's talk about that for a few moments today. Uh, the reason I think it's important for us to discuss this is from everything I can understand from biblical history, if you could go back and time travel and you could hang with Jesus and his disciples for 48 hours, you would have liked this guy. If you could have known Judas, you would have never dreamed what was going on inside of him. We'll talk about this in just a few moments, but after being with Judas three years, the rest of the disciples, when Judas got up to go betray Jesus and sell him, they thought he was doing some errand for the group. The disciples were with him for three years, never dreamed that Judas would have done what he did. So for the next few moments, I want to show you six reasons why you would have loved, you would have thought Judas was a great guy if you could go back in time travel. Number one, Judas had a good background. He came from all the right places. His name Judas Iscariot means Judas from Kerioth. Kerioth was in Judea. Judea was the Bible Belt. And that's where kids went to Christian school. That's where they learned Bible verses. That's where they were, they were, they were, taught, they were taught God with their mother's milk. I mean, this was, this, was the, this, was, this was ground zero. I mean, this is where Jerusalem was. Did you, did you know that Judas was the only disciple from Judea? All the other disciples came from Galilee. Galilee was like blue collar, rough and tumble, maybe you'll learn a little bit about God kind of place. 
These, these were rough guys. I mean, the other disciples, well, some of them were fishermen. Uh, there was a tax collector who had been a thief in the group. There was even an ex-terrorist among the others from Galilee. And I think the disciples, they all looked at Judas. I mean, he had his hair combed right, knew how to carry his Bible. I think all the other disciples looked at Judas and thought, I wish we could have grown up like Judas over here. I mean, we wouldn't have been near as crazy as we are if we could have grown up like Judas because he knew everything to do, he knew everything to say. He knew the God culture. I see Matthew over there. He was a tax collector. I mean, they were the, we talked about that before. They were the scum of the scum. They were cheats and liars. I mean, Rome hired them, and they were notorious for being the lowest of the low. No self-respecting person would hang with a guy like Matthew. And I see Matthew still carrying the marks of sin in his face. And he looked over at Judas and thought, man, I wish I could have grown. If I could have grown up like Judas... Yeah, you know, let me just, okay, let me just tip this over in the, in the, in the, in the house today. <laughs> Many of you at New Spring, you didn't, you didn't grow up a Christ follower. I mean, you, we've, we, we know that. And, and, and you look over at some of the rest of us who grew up in church and, and you say, oh, I wish I could have grown up like her. And, and there is a legit aspect to this because somebody could say, well, I could have avoided so much trouble in life. And, and, and that's true. But I almost think sometimes those that struggle to come to God might have a little bit of advantage in certain areas over those who grew up knowing the culture, but not knowing the person. There's Peter over there. He grew up a fisherman. He grew up on the docks. He learned words early on that you shouldn't say. It was a family business. All of you who know in a family business, you don't get a lot of cuddly words in a family business. And that's why Peter's always shooting his mouth off. I mean, he learned that at the docks. And Peter's over there. And every time Jesus would say, Peter, hush, Peter, Peter would think, oh, I wish I could have grown up like Judas because he always knows what to say. He didn't stick his foot in his mouth. So, so clearly he had the best start, and you would have probably been impressed with that. Number two, this is huge. He claimed to be a believer and was even baptized. From what I can pick up from history, it probably happened when John the Baptist was preaching because the Bible says crowds of people were coming to John professing their faith and being baptized. Did Judas get caught up in the emotion? I mean, if the crowd, I mean, like some of you can remember the Billy Graham crusades, as wonderful as they were, you saw crowds go forward. I mean, it's a, I still get emotional watching those old crusade films. But somebody could say, well, you know, I mean, the crowd was going, maybe that's how Judas, maybe he joined the crowd. Maybe he went with friends and they were responding, so he responded with them. But did he go with his parents? Whatever happened when Judas made a profession of faith, nothing changed inside. I know about that. I know how that could happen to happen with me. I grew up a pastor's kid. When I talk about growing up with all the advantages spiritually, I'm talking about someone like me. I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad was a great pastor. I remember when I was like five or six years old, my mom and dad called me over. I was playing with my toys and they said, Mark, it's time we talk to you about accepting Christ. And they did their best and they meant well. Me, I was listening with one ear because I wanted to get back to my toys. Dad said, pray, I prayed. The next day, dad said, go to church, you'll be baptized. 
I wasn't really baptized. Because you see, in order to be baptized, your heart, it's got to be your decision. It's got to be something from your heart. I, I wasn't baptized. I just went down dry and came up wet. <laughs> that's fact. That's what, that's what happened to me. But as I got a little older, I mean, it's six, seven, eight, and I began to really process what, it, what, what had happened, I had two problems. First of all, I, I, I wasn't really saved, but I was too proud to do anything about it because when you grow up a pastor's kid, at least in a small church, you grew up in a glass house. That's a big enough problem to have on its own. I mean, everything made me jump. I mean, I knew I, knew I wasn't right with God. I knew that I was portraying myself in a way that wasn't real. And every sermon I heard scared me. I knew if I were to die, I really had not accepted Christ. But I was too proud to do anything about it. When I was eight years old, I really did make that decision. But you've heard me tell my story before when it came to baptism, which that's the first thing God wants you to do after you get saved. Even though I had accepted Christ, it was private. I never told anybody about that. And it wasn't until I was 14 years old where I got the courage to break the mask and do something about it and get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. The other problem that I had in all those years was um, everybody there thought Mark was fine. And since I wasn't, I had to play the part. I had to act. In, in Bible days, there were Greek thespians, there were Greek actors and they would change characters by changing masks. And the mask would change their image. It would also augment their voices at times. These actors had a particular name in Greek. They were called hupokrites. There is no Y in Greek. Hupo, is, it comes over into our language with the prefix hypo. It means under. Hypodermit, under the skin. So the people that acted and donned masks, they were called hypocrites. The second word is really interesting because the second word is the Greek word for judge, judgment. In other words, these are people who judged or decided under a mask. One of the things that I've watched in the 46 years that I've been a pastor is I've watched how that when people are hyper-judgmental, they're usually hiding something. Now, I'm not talking about taking a stand for truth, but have you ever met somebody that was just, they, they, they were just ready to pounce. They're, they're, you just think this is a judgmental person. They're always talking about what's wrong with other people. I got to be honest with you. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't make stuff up in my head, but when I hear somebody like that, I always wonder, what's he hiding? And the term for hypocrite actually means somebody who judges under a mask. And that's what I was. I was a hypocrite. The church, I was an actor. The church was my stage. I was a preacher's son, a pastor's son. And yet I was lost. And by the way, if anyone's like that here today and you're here, um, your wife is a believer, but the songs don't mean anything to you. You listen to sermons, but it's kind of like this. And in the back seat on the way home, kids are talking about, the great message they heard in kids' world, and here you are, the dad. Or the mom. I remember the most miserable year I ever spent in high school. It was my freshman year, but the whole problem started my eighth grade year, my last year in middle school. 
I went to a large inner city middle school. Actually, Mary Alice and I went to the same one. I was in the eighth grade when she was in the sixth grade. I didn't know her. But it, it was, uh, I, re- I remember when I was in the eighth grade, at, at the end of the fall semester, my math teacher came to me and she said, Mark, she said, you don't have any grade that's under 100. She said, we're, we're taking a handful of students here, and instead of teaching eighth grade math in the second semester, we're going to teach Algebra 1, which is a high school course. And so next year, when all the other freshmen are taking Algebra 1 and 2, you'll be taking Algebra 2 and 3. And that's like a good idea to me. So in the spring semester, I'm in Algebra 1, but the only problem was I was involved in all kinds of programs that spring. I was the MC for the talent show. I was... I did the Easter program, which, by the way, in big public school in Texas, we did do the Easter program, and I read the resurrection story out of the Bible for three assemblies. I've been in multiple services for a long time. Mary Alice and I talk about this. I always wonder if she was sitting out there in the sixth grade assembly and think, that's the guy I'm going to marry someday. (laughs) And then... My speech teacher believed that if you were in middle school, you could do anything an adult could do. So our school play that year was actually it was a Moliere play, and I had the male lead. The only thing is, I kept getting pulled out of math. I had to be pulled out of math for all these rehearsals, and I missed the basics. I somehow managed to get through with an A, but when I get to O.D. White High School in Fort Worth, I remember the counselor sitting down with me, and he said, okay, I see that you've already had Algebra 1. You're in Algebra 2 and 3. And from that moment on, I didn't understand anything that the math teacher said because I didn't have the basics. I was expected to know something I didn't know. Every day when I went to class, it was torture. I was scared to death. I didn't understand a thing, and yet I had too much pride to do what a friend of mine did. The girl who had been the female lead in the play, who was pretty much in all these productions that I was in, she was in the first week in school, and she went up to the teacher and said, I have no idea what's going on here. Would you put me back in Algebra 1? And I remember looking at her thinking, I don't think I would ever do that because I love strutting my stuff around this campus with 4,000 high school kids saying, I'm in Algebra 2 and 3. It was awful. I have bad dreams about that class now. And I'm qualified for Social Security. (laughs) Some of you are there today, and my heart goes out to you. If you grew up in an, I grew up Baptist. If you grew up in an evangelical world, you learned all the songs. You went to Sunday school. You heard all the lessons. You know, you know the Bible stories. The only problem is there isn't anything real there. Or maybe you grew up in a church where you. You were baptized as a baby, which that's not a biblical. I mean, the parents mean well when they're doing this part of the church culture. Baptism is in the Bible. It's always after salvation. It's a test. It's like wearing a wedding ring before you're married. But you're holding on to that. When you were a child, your parents had you baptized, or it could be you went through catechism. And, and, and you, you, you come to New Spring and you hear these testimonies of people whose lives are changed and, and it's like that doesn't resonate. But for some crazy reason like me in high school, we just insist on wearing the mask. Another week, another sermon, another worship service, another, another set of testimonies, another, another time to be here, but nothing is really happening. 
A third reason I think we would have been impressed with Judas is he became a member of the church. One day Jesus came along and said, follow me. And from that moment on, Judas became member of the first church. Some of us would have remembered being in First Baptist Church or First Church of the Nazarene or First Presbyterian Church. Hey, Judas was in the first church. <laughs> when the church only had 12 members, Judas was in the church. And for the next three and a half years, he heard countless sermons. He saw all the miracles. He watched Jesus in action. When Jesus took a sack lunch and fed 20,000 people, Judas was there. When Jesus turned water into wine, Judas was there. When Jesus raised Lazarus up from the grave, Judas was there. And see, that's why I'm struggling. How could it not connect? I mean, I'm like, if I'm there and I'll see Jesus call out Lazarus, come forth, and he walks out and they have to rip the grave clothes off, that would get my attention. He saw it all. And his heart never changed. Number four, Judas actually held an office in the church. I mean, he held a position as far as like a leadership position. In fact, he was the only one of the 12 to have a job in the church. So trustworthy did Jesus, Judas appear, and I think it had to do with his upbringing, that when the other 11 disciples voted on who would be the treasurer in the group, they elected Judas. He had a position in church, and yet he was lost. I remember when I was 23 years old, Mary Alice and I went to Houston, and I served in an inner city church. And I loved it for the, I, lo I loved being at that church. I loved being in the inner city. I would walk the streets Monday through Friday, sometimes on Saturday morning, and I would just share Jesus with the people there in the streets. And the people in the church used to beg me, please don't go out by yourself because it was dangerous, they said. The only thing I ever worried about was dogs because everybody had a junkyard dog. But I could tell you so many stories of lives being changed. I won drug dealers to the Lord. I mean, it was just a wonderful experience. I really think it shaped in my young heart the vision that I have for New Spring Church. But what I really remember in those days was I, held, I led a college group. And in that college group was a lot of young students at University of Houston. And I'm telling this because it's spring break and it reminds me of a spring break week there. All these guys, instead of going to Florida for the week, their goal for spring break was to draw straws to see who could go with me every day on the streets and talk to people. And they did. By the way, I'm happy to say most of those guys went into ministry. But I remember one Saturday morning, they had been out sharing. We'd all kind of spread out throughout the neighborhood, and we were talking to people about Jesus and got back to the church campus. And a couple of the guys came to me, and they said, uh, Mark, um, we met a guy. He's got cancer. He's got to have surgery on Monday, and he doesn't know for sure he's going to heaven. And we got, we got him close, but we couldn't. if you would go over there, we think he would accept Christ. And so we went all over there together. But by the time I got there, he was, um, he was gone. But that Monday, I went down to the south side of town to M.D. Anderson. And I, by the time I found him, he'd already gone back to surgery holding. And I don't even know why they let me back there, but they let me back there for a few moments. And he couldn't talk to me. He had cancer of the, of the larynx. They were going to take his larynx out. And he was about to go back in. And I just held his hand for a moment. I said, I don't pray for you. And I said, I'll be at your house when you get home, and I want to talk to you. And he said, okay. And they took him back to surgery. 
I don't remember how much time elapsed, but a morning after he got home, I went into his home. And you know, even though it's been so many decades ago, there are certain stories that I feel like I could just go back and touch. And I feel that this morning as I tell you, we sat at his breakfast table. He was having breakfast. I'd gone there early that morning. And I asked him if he knew for sure he was going to heaven, and he said no. I said, can I just show you how you can know Jesus? And I took out my New Testament and I started talking to him about Christ. And I said, would you like to pray to receive Jesus right now at your breakfast table? And he said, yes. And by that point, his voice box had been removed and he had a mechanical device that he would lay up beside his throat and it would pick up mechanical vibrations. And it was a very mechanical sounding voice. And it was a challenge for me at first to understand what he was saying. I never will forget as he laid that device up on his throat and called on the Lord to save him. And it was a wonderful moment. And I'm, a, I'm not a young man anymore, but I love that moment in my heart, just thinking about what that felt like. I got up and I turned around and I got halfway to the door when I heard him call out to me. And he said, there's something I want you to know. He said, I was a deacon in the Helmer Street Baptist Church for 20 years. I tell you, that taught a young 23-year-old preacher not to take anything for granted and not taking it for granted this morning. Well, number five blows my mind. And don't email me and ask me to explain it to you because I can't. But Judas preached. Now, for all of you baby boomers, I didn't say Judas priest. <laughs> if you're under 40, you're like, I have no idea what Mark just talked about. Judas preached. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible says Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Don't, I mean, Judas is part of the 12. It's possible to be a preacher. It's possible to be a pastor. And have the culture, but not have Christ. And it kind of helps us understand why we hear some of the stories that we hear about guys who we looked up to and thought these were great leaders, and yet we find out they were living a lie. Hey, if one of Jesus' 12 could do that. But I can tell you, all the five things that I've talked about, why we would be impressed with Jesus, they, uh, Judas, you could add them all up and they wouldn't add up to the last one. The sixth reason why we would be impressed with Judas is that Jesus loved him and it touched his life. I mean, that's definitely true. I mean, you could take those three years and you could see all kinds of expressions of Jesus' love, but let's just go to the last evening. Jesus and his disciples are having that meal together. And in those days, people walked on hot, dusty roads. It was important that people's feet be clean at dinner time because unlike those pictures that we get from the Renaissance, people did not sit at a table and eat. They lay on their sides uh, they lay on the floor. And so if you were in a group of 13 people, somebody's feet were close to your face. And in those days, if a, people were wealthy, they would have servants do the work. And if, if a servant came out to wash your feet, you knew you were just in the presence of the lowest servant in the house. <laughs> Jesus' disciples, not rich people. So it was responsibility of the least important person there to wash the feet. Well, these guys have been arguing over who was most important. Who's going to say they're the least important? And you remember what happened. 
the Son of God got up, cinched up his robe, took a basin of water and a towel, and went around and washed those 12 guys' feet. I have a vivid imagination. And I love to imagine that moment where Jesus came to Judas because you see, Judas, Judas has made the deal, but he hasn't followed through yet. This is Jesus' opportunity to call to Judas one more time. Can you imagine that moment where Jesus, Jesus kneels down in front of Judas and takes his foot and washes his foot? But there's someone watching me, and spiritually Jesus has touched you. You know he has. It was just something that he did for you. Just something that reached out to you. You, you, you could be a non-theist today, and if you were honest, you would just know that you've encountered Jesus. But there's something else very special. It is the Last Supper, and Jesus announces that one of the disciples is going to betray him. <laughs> and 11 of them were like, could it be me? And, and John was sitting next to Jesus, or he was next to Jesus at the dinner, and Peter motioned to him, ask him who it is. So Jesus leaned, John leaned over to Jesus and said, who is it? And the Lord said, it's the one that I dip. Well, let me put this in modern terms. The one I dip the pita bread in the tapenade and give it to Now, here's the thing. In a dinner like this, if you, dipped, if you dipped your bread in the sauce or the dip or whatever it was, and you gave it to someone, it was your way of saying, this is the person I love the most. This is the person I want to honor the most. Do you understand that when Jesus at that moment, it, 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 when he dipped his bread, he reached out and gave it to Judas as the most honored person there. It was one more time to say, Judas, please don't go through with this. I know what I see in verse 27. It says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. And he went out and sold Jesus and betrayed him with a kiss. Well, I have a few moments left, so let's ask the question that we started off with asking, how could he do it? Why did he do it? I want to give you three reasons, and I really believe these are true, and I think, I think there's someone who needs to wrestle with these today. The first one was he was in church for three years, but he never got what Jesus was all about. I think I've met people like this. They learn the culture, but it's like they don't really, they don't get Jesus. I mean, I think Judas signed on with Jesus because in his mind, Jesus was the ticket to success, success in life. I mean, you know, he was king, Messiah, people around them, they, they, they get the good stuff of life. And somebody could say, well, Mark, that's not an issue today. I think it is way more an issue in the 21st century church in the United States than we dream. In fact, there are churches today that if you listen to the preaching, most of the messages are how to be a success in life. Oh, hey, I do believe that Jesus will help you be successful. I think his principles are definitely helpful. But 
I think that's the problem with Judas. For him, it wasn't, it wasn't about the kingdom of God. It was not about eternity. It was about getting rich right now. I mean, when he saw what Jesus could do with a sack lunch, and he saw all those healings on the raising of the dead, Judas like, this thing could be monetized. But then when Jesus made the wrong enemies and he was now unpopular and he started talking about going to the cross, Judas like, what's the benefit in being politically incorrect? I got to do something to get something out of these last three wasted years. 30 pieces of silver. I want to go to a really important one right now. The second reason why Judas did what he did, some people can't be rebuked. They can't be told that they're wrong. I know this is part of the story because we read how that there was a woman, her name was Mary, and I think this was a week, maybe a little more than a week before Jesus was crucified. They invited Jesus to dinner. I don't know if any of you have a hard time putting your feelings into word, but if you do, you have a soul sister in Mary. I talk to New Springer sometimes and say, Mark, I love the worship service here, but I can't sing. All I can do is stand there and cry. That may be the most eloquent worship of all. And that's Mary. She doesn't know what to say, but Jesus is there. He's teaching in her living room, and she's looking at him. I mean, her brother Lazarus was in the grave just a few days before, and Jesus called him out. He's sitting there listening to Jesus. And Mary wants to do something special for Jesus. She's a well-to-do woman. She's got a box of fragrance in her closet that's worth a year's salary. Some of you ladies and men may have some nice fragrances, but chances are they're not worth a year's salary. And what they would do in those days is if there was a special guest at dinner, a person would take a small sachet of fragrance out. It was typically wax-based and place it on the head of the cherished guest there. And as his body heat melted that fragrance, it would make the whole room smell good. I think that's what Mary's planning to do. She walks in with her box. She's going to take a little bit out, put it on Jesus' head. But then she begins to think about what a difference Jesus had made. You've got to understand, Mary is the anti-Judas. Nothing's good enough for Jesus. And she's standing there thinking about all the things that Jesus has done for her. She just walks over there and breaks the whole box and puts a whole year's worth of perfume on Jesus' head. Hey, you and I like that. But Jesus' disciples didn't like it. In fact, the word they used was waste. Now, Matthew says that the disciples were unhappy. Mark says that some were unhappy, but John tells us, well, let's read. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Evidently, he said this out loud where Mary could hear. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, notice the sharpness of Jesus' rebuke. Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Matthew says it was right after that that Judas went out and made the deal. He didn't like being rebuked. He didn't like being told he was wrong. We have a whole generation of 21st century Americans that you cannot tell they are wrong. And here is the honest truth, and we all need to hear this today, starting with me. If Jesus cannot tell Mark Hoover that Mark is wrong, I know nothing about Jesus because he is Lord and he insists on being Lord. 
And if there is a person who can't be corrected by the word of God, I love you enough to tell you, you do not know Jesus yet. Every once in a while, I don't hear this very often at New Spring, but every once in a while, I'll preach something that's just straight out of the Bible and someone will write and say, how dare you preach that? In other words, don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't challenge what I believe politically. Don't challenge what I believe culturally. Don't challenge what I believe about sexuality. I love you, but Jesus is not there. I mean, if Jesus cannot correct me, he's not my Lord. I'm Lord. I'm Lord with the little Jesus juice. You know, I'll, one more and I'll be finished. I don't think Judas would have ever believed when he started hanging with Jesus that he could ever do what he did. I think if someone had come up to Judas in week one of following Jesus, and said, someday you're going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, I think Judas would have punched him. Well, he, he wasn't blue collar enough to do that. I think he would have, he would have texted him. The fact that the Bible says Satan entered his heart after that last attempt by Jesus to hand him the bread, it tells me there was a battle going on in Judah's soul between Jesus and Satan. And this last thing I want to talk about that is the reason why Judas did what he did. It's so important for me to talk about today. And here, here it is, and I'll close with this. Judas, like many, hardened his heart. I don't mean, I don't mean he ossified the muscle in his chest. I mean... When the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about our attitude, it's talking about our emotions, it's talking about our will. And see, every time we hear the message and we tell God no, our heart gets just a little harder and it's a little easier to tell God no. It's a little easier to sit in a service like today and just, what are we having for lunch? Until it gets to the place that even though we're still breathing and still living, God can't get through. I want you to hear how seriously God takes this. In the book of Hebrews 3, verse 7, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, when the Bible talks about hearing his voice, we're not talking about audibly, I guess, although there's great stories that are coming out of the Muslim world about people seeing visions and hearing the voice of God. I, I don't know about that. I just know this. I know that God has a way of getting our, and we know when God is like messaging us. And the Bible says today. Don't, don't say, well, I'll, I'll think about this tomorrow because our mind will go somewhere else. The Holy Spirit says today when you hear his voice, don't say it. Don't harden your heart. Seven verses later, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Well, it's almost like someone hardened their heart and hardened their heart and hardened their heart. Twelve verses later, in chapter four, verse seven, so God said another time. So in other words, when somebody told God, no, okay, well, well God gave them another time, maybe March of 2023. God said another time. And that time is today, in the words already quoted, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. But Judas did, and he did, and he did, and he rode that train all the way to the end of the line. We know how he ended up. 
When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and hanged himself. By the way, guilt is never a productive emotion. Peter felt conviction last week, and it brought him to Jesus. Judas felt guilt, and in his pride, even in his guilt, he wouldn't break the mask. I've been preaching this story, like I said, since I was 16 years old, but I have a vivid imagination. And every time I talk about Judas, I think he didn't have to end this way. I know Jesus well enough to know it didn't have to end this way. Last week, Stephen preached to you about how that Jesus talked to Peter, and Peter got straight on the beach in that beach breakfast. But in my imagination, I've always seen a different ending. I've always wished it could have been like this, because as you see that meeting with Jesus and the disciples eating fish and bread on the shore, out in the distance, there's a solitary figure with his head bowed who will not get close because he's just too covered with shame. But something in him reminds him of who Jesus was and how he, how he loved and forgave people who did wrong. And I see him as he sort of creeps closer and closer and closer, still nervous about getting too close. But finally, you see him break through that, and you see him as he walks over about 10 steps away from Jesus, and then he just gets on his knees and kind of crawls the rest of the way. And I watch him as he says, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe what I did. I can't believe I sold you. I sold you for pocket change. I kissed you and identified you before your enemies. But, Lord, I'm sorry. If he had done that, he would have been at Pentecost a few days later. He would have been part of the greatest church service of all time, and maybe he might have taken the gospel someplace like India, like Thomas did. It didn't have to end that way. It doesn't have to end that way for anybody under the sound of my voice because it's still today and the Holy Spirit is still calling. And if you will hear his voice, don't tell God no. Don't harden your heart. Break that mass. Break it in a million pieces. It's not worth it. It's too heavy. It's too heavy to carry that mask of pretense. Be who God wants you to be. And, but here's the thing. And, 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 and it's like, I'm going to preach the best I possibly can here. The only way that you can be saved is to realize and admit to God that you are a sinner and you have nothing to bring. If you grew up Baptist, set that aside. If you grew up Catholic, set that aside. If you think you're a good person, I promise you, you're not perfect. Set that aside. Come to Jesus. Kneel before Jesus by faith. Lord, I have nothing to offer you. I am a sinner, but I only trust the blood that you shed for me and your power to resurrect me on the inside. And I promise you, he will save you. He will make you his daughter. He will make you his son. And you can walk out. next weekend when you come to New Spring, you can worship with a heart that's pure and know God. And you'll never have to pretend another service. You'll know him personally. Well, I know this is time for us to respond. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you know Jesus, then pray for those who are coming to know him. If you're here today and you want to know Jesus, I'm going to say some words that you can pray with me. These are not magic words, but if you pray them from your heart, the Lord will hear. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer you, but I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. 
And I believe your blood paid for my sin. I believe you arose from the grave. And because you're alive, I want you to be my king. I receive you as my savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer and washing my sins away. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me 60 more seconds. If you just pray with me, whether you're watching online or watching on television, I got a gift I want to give you. It's, it's a box with a New Spring Bible, and there's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God. It'll answer a lot of questions. So just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-A-D, to 97,000. Follow the steps, and we'll mail it to you. But if you're on campus today, in South Auditorium, North Auditorium, I want you to get this right now. Don't put it off till tomorrow. You say, Mark, I've been in church 30 years. Get it today. I want you to have the book, and I want you to have the Bible. Just text pray to 97,000. Go back to any info center and say, I pray with Mark. And let's just make a new start today. Thank you. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.